Hello, and welcome to Ranking 76. We are ranking the 76 heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And today, we're finally on the anniversary of the Little Bighorn. Well, a couple days back. I think this is going to drop on the 28th. It actually happened on June 25th. But we've been talking about these three for a while, and it's, it's going to be sad to see them go. As we go on. We remember. I did not know what song you were pulling out of your face. (laughs) Dude, you don't know graduation song? That was like everybody's deal. I mean, I do remember the song. Uh, The way you sang it is not exactly how I remember the song. But it was beautiful. It was was words. No, just just go on. Just go. Well, fun fun little side story for everyone. Um Matt, what are what are the what are the five smartest animals um in, in animation? Uh the five smartest um animals that are or I'm sorry, the five cartoon animals that are smarter yes. than someone their owner. someone went to trivia night and was very upset well before we started <laughs> recording. And do you want Yeah, okay. Number one, Garfield, easy. Snoopy, easy. Brian from Family Guy, easy. Scooby freaking do? I don't think so. Don't buy it. Don't buy it one bit. I mean, who who else did you have? Who did you list? Uh, you mean the one? The who were your five ones? guesses? Who was, were your? Oh, we said um, Snoopy, Garfield, Brian from Family Guy, Tweety Bird, and who else did we say? Tweety's friend, not friend, frenemy. No, we didn't say we didn't say Sylvester. We said someone else. I couldn't remember. I said it earlier, and I couldn't. I can't remember mm. it now. It was one you said. I can't remember. I remember yeah, Gary I from SpongeBob, but I don't think that barely counts because we're really. That would have been a good one. And you want to know what one uh, I just thought of would have been a good one? Willem Dafoe, the fish from Finding Nemo. It, he was he smart. Own, was he owned like, by someone? I can't remember. He had like a small fin or something too. Was he, he owned by anyone? Yeah, the dentist. Oh, okay. Remember? I, they were in this. They were in this. I remember the tank. scene. I don't remember what. Okay, I think I can. I can piece it because I have seen that movie. Since, yeah, since you're old. I even liked Finding Nemo. Do you want to make fun of Up next? I mean, Up was decent. Decent. <laughs> I just can't. I love Up. <laughs> like, the first five minutes of Up will break everyone's hearts. There was also a question where the answer was soul. That was a pretty good one. Soul? Oh, the movie yeah, Soul. Uh, Jamie Foxx. I haven't yeah. seen that one. That does and, look good. Uh, the little spirit or whatever. Right. Pretty good. Okay. Well, none of that was related to Setting Bowl, but I think Matt needed to get off the off his chest because he was very upset. Scooby Doo. <laughs> okay, anyway, sorry, go on. Rot row. Rot row shaggy. He's a smart dog. He's a talking dog. I don't know what, what you're so upset about, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just to get back to our subject, what um what do, what do you know about Sitting Bull? Some. Um he was um in the battle. Correct. You have listened astutely. I'm guessing he was a great war chief medicine man but you know we're getting he does a lot of fighting oh okay we're getting there we're getting there you listen you've listened so well the last couple of weeks 
<laughs> it's I dude, it's uh, it's a lot. I mean, Custer, man, it's four hours. It's true, and you do all the editing. You were probably listening. <laughs> you listened to it more than I did. Well, I didn't. Well, I didn't try and listen too close um, because I didn't want to spoil. Because I knew it was coming up. You didn't want to spoil it for yourself. Yeah, because because I knew this episode was coming up. You just didn't want to pay attention. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I know everything. Quiz me. All right. Well, anyway, even though Matt knows everything, everyone here is listening for Sitting Bull. So I will, I can, Matt, will you allow me to continue since you, you know, this isn't for you. I mean, I guess. I might, yeah, this isn't for me. This isn't for me. Just chime in whenever you get a moment. (laughs) All right. Sitting Bull was born around 1830, possibly 1831 in South Dakota near the Missouri River. Bill Yen in his book does point out it might have been a place called Many Caches, but honestly, take your pick anywhere, your hometown if you live in South Dakota. It's not really known. He was born in the year uh, Yellow Eyes died of gunpowder that happened to explode next to him. And in something that shouldn't be this funny, they actually used that as the name for the year. Um, and it was known as the year yellow eyes danced in the snow. Oh, I, I literally thought you were going to say the year yellow eyes died sitting next to a powder keg that accidentally blew up. I was like, wow. Okay. I remember that year. He danced in the snow. It was a rough one. Danced, which I think shouldn't be that funny because a man did die. But like, how was it like little gunpowder around him? And like this one popped and then he like... No, you see, like, the flame coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to stamp it out. <laughs> anyway, look at him dancing over there. I mean, that's not funny, but it's I a mean, little come funny. on. Someone we're... probably was like, why is he dancing? <laughs> then he just had that big black face of just, like, just see his eyes blinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> solid start. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, just like Crazy Horse. Sitting Bull's original name isn't Sitting Bull. It's an inherited name that he's going to get from his father in just a little bit. They originally call him Jumping Badger, which is kind of a cool name. Uh, Yeah. But he was unlike other toddlers. You know how, like, when you have your niece or your nephew or your children, like, they just grab everything out of impulse? Oh, terrible. I hated that. He wouldn't do that. In fact, he would really, like, pick take his time looking at things, which seems fine. Like he's inquisitive. We would, we would probably, you know, praise that today. However, for the Lakota who depend on hunting Buffalo, Buffalo and being like on the move quite a bit, uh, he's given a nickname that you can just pick out a hint of annoyance because they call him little slow. Ah, come on, little slow. Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> On my time, I will move when we say you, we will move. Do you know what it actually made me think of? Do you remember in um, Dumb and Dumber? Like, you got to excuse my friend. He's a, he's a little slow. <laughs> right at the end where they open up the bus and it's a bunch of women in bikinis. Yeah. You're right. It's that way. <laughs> They are very literal with their names. Let me tell they you. They cut to the bone is what they would do. <laughs> Some of these names like really cut deep. 
Come on, can't fish. Let's go. Oh, that was one time. Why are you making fun of me five years later? You caught nothing. I still think of Olive Oatman when they may have nicknamed her uh, Rotten Crotch because she may have been menstruating. Oh, I forgot about like, that. The, the Yavapai were very, very harsh with their names. Just like Red Cloud uh, and Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, Jumping Badger, or Little Slow. He would be given an age-appropriate bow and played the games that also doubled his training to become a warrior and hunter. He kills his first buffalo at 10 years old, which is a little intense, but good for him. And then he partakes, and drumroll please, he takes part in his first counting coup at 14. This is finally all of the round names, so... What is Counting Coup and why did we pick it for this? Counting Coup is kind of a form of fighting and like a violent tag. Only you're using a long stick with a feather attached to it at the end. And the goal was to run up to your opponent and ideally uh, beat them with the stick without killing them. However, if you kill them, you lose. <laughs> you've lost the game. I don't think they're going to name the the year after you for it, but it's it's not great. However, deaths did occur, which is kind of why we adopted it in our confirmed-ish kills. So, it was incredibly embarrassing to be counted Kuan. Basically, you were viewed as you weren't vigilant enough to see a man riding on horseback to come up and tap you on the head like Rafiki with a war club. Uh... And in fact, many would retaliate using deadly force after you were cooed on. So they took us very seriously. I beat you in the game, but you're going to kill me? Kind of. Well, this is all this is all like we think of it, it's not really a game because like you're doing this like on raids. Right. This was them just like I'm bet I'm a better fighter than yeah. you. Look at me hit you on the head with this stick and run away before you can do anything. Right, it's kind of taunting. Yes, it's very taunting. Uh, also, how fun is it to say to be cooed on? <laughs> right. I got cooed a couple of times yesterday. <laughs> There's two ways that can be taken. One makes you cringe, and the other just, it's so fun to say. During his life, Sitting Bull would count coo over 60 times. This man knew how to hit someone with on the head with a stick. <laughs> He's a pro. He's a pro. He's pretty good at it. During his first raid against the Crows, and I don't know if I'm insane, but I feel like every raid is against the Crows. Maybe I'm in too deep, but I feel like all they are is just a band of people with like, I don't know, a bunch of bruises and like a bunch of black eyes at this point. There's those crows again. Get them! Yeah, just... Not again. <laughs> no, what did we do? <laughs> I just, I don't understand their hatred towards the crows, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's fine. We all have to beat up someone. Anyway, Jumping Badger is 14 years old, and he grabs his weapons. His uniform is a little bit less than his American counterparts, as he is essentially naked and only wearing moccasins covered by a breechcloth. Some of his war paint includes some yellow, not like completely covering him, but for someone whose nickname is Little Slow covering himself up with yellow, I'm thinking he's a Simpson. 
specifically Ralph. Oh, hi guys. I'm going to count cool on you. No, that's not a Ralph. <laughs> that's, that's a really bad Ralph, isn't it? I feel like it was your best. It was, that was real bad. I'm trying to think of the name, but uh, if anybody listening doesn't listen to Tudoriferous, they also had, uh, there was someone trapped in the, in the castle. I think it was Jasper Tudor, but apparently this, this poor child trapped in the, in the tower in London said um, he would have a floor friend as he was talking someone through the floor because uh, they were both prisoners and he was like 10 years old and they, they also thought of Ralph a um, little bit different scenario, but I Good did old Ralph Wiggum. I did think, I did think of you Tudoriferous when I thought saw of that. So hi Lucy, if you're listening anyway, jumping badger picks his first coup victim. He has him in his metaphorical sights. Not that you can have sights on a, a stick, but he rides in at full speed. And just as the crow is about to fire an arrow, Jumping Badger hits the man's arm, knocking his weapons away. And before the horrifying embarrassment of being blocked by a 14-year-old can hit, another Lakota came in and killed the man shortly after Jumping Badger counted coup on him. Hey, it worked. It worked. Uh, you, can't, you can't argue with the results. But similar to Light Hair's changing into name changing into Crazy Horse, Jumping Badger has his own name ceremony where he takes his father's name of Sitting Bull. And this was after? This was after his first counting coup. He counted coup one time. That's all it took. Because he, he ain't slow no more. He ain't. He cooed real good. He coos with the best of them. Also, I wonder I wonder if if I would go out like if, if there were more details on this, if I would go through the entire story and then you would call him like sitting Bruce or something like that. Close to <laughs> crazy Carl, <laughs> crazy horse. Well, what was his dad? What So he took sitting bull. So what was it? Did his dad become? I couldn't fi- I couldn't remember finding it. I didn't write that down. But I don't think it From was on. I will be known as. George of the jungle. It's oh, terrible. It's Tarzan. George of the jungle needed to look out for that tree. Watch out for that tree. Yep. Okay. So it didn't. It, there was no record of what his dad did, huh? There is. I just. I don't remember looking it up. I'll be honest with you. There's. There is. There's more on Sitting Bull than there was Crazy Crazy Horse, but there's. There is like a frustrating lack of detail, but we'll we'll get into that in just a little bit also. But even before he leaves his teens, Sitting Bull has earned a reputation of being a powerful warrior, and he's welcomed into an elite group of warriors known as the Stronghearts. Stronghearts swore oaths to never retreat from battle, and once in a fight, once a fight started, they would either be victorious or dead. Very much like the Spartans come back on your shield with your shield or on it type thing. If you were a strong heart, there was no messing with you. You could not back down, but we do have to take a little bit of a side tour because honestly, there's nowhere else to put this. And I thought this was really funny. So sometime in 1851 sitting bull takes the first of what will be five wives in his lifetime when he marries a woman named light hair, which isn't confusing at all because yes, that was crazy horse's name before he took crazy horse. But I don't think these two were married. Maybe they were, but that would be a real scandal back in the day. (laughs) 
Five years later, Sitting Bull takes his second wife, whose name is Snow on her. So there's light hair and snow on her. The two women don't particularly get along with each other, and they develop a rivalry. And in what so he's married to both of them though. He's married to both of them, which that in okay. itself isn't weird. But they don't like each other, which honestly you would probably expect having I don't know feelings and more than you know two people in a relationship. But who am I to judge? Rumor is it, and this is what I thought was really funny because if I'm showing Bo- uh, Matt a picture of Sitting Bull, uh, the book <laughs> is by Billion. I'm going to show him this picture as I read this. Rumor was that Sitting Bull had to sleep on his back with each wife grabbing his arm as neither would permit him to turn and face the other one. <laughs> that would be, I mean, his face says it all. I mean, <laughs> that would be the most uncomfortable sleep ever. I can, Trying to roll over? No. Nope. The other way? No. You're stuck. There uh, is no escape. Don't you dare look at her. Don't you know? There's no winning that situation. Now, as as a former, I don't know, 20-year-old man, you would think, hmm, two girls laying next to me? All right. I don't think this was it. Oh, no. Not at all. So the rivalry came to a head when Snow on her, again, the second wife, accused Light Hair of sleeping with other men. Well, then a council is called because this has to be taken very seriously. And when Snow on her was asked to produce names, she couldn't. Now, you would think, why couldn't she just lie about it? But if she was caught lying, she would literally be beaten to death. God. So basically, that was a way to shut her up. She went back. She was lying about it. Or she didn't lie about it. But uh, that's how the marriage ended. No evidence. So, Oh, so he divorced her. Yeah, she was gone. So where did she go? Uh, she went back to her parents. However, only a year or so later, light hair dies in childbirth and snow on her is welcomed back into his teepee. So, and the couple did have a few children together. Does, um, did his child with her die as well? I don't believe so. Uh, I think so. Um, it's hard to track his children. Right. Uh, Cause he does well, I mean he had five wives. So yes. <laughs> well, throughout the course of his lifetime, but yes, um, he will, I guess we may as well just talk about it now. Like there is, he has more than crazy horse on him. Like I said, but he has a pictogram that, um, that basically just shows an illustrated history of what he does. So we're going to get into uh, a part where he's about to fight the Americans, where it just shows him attacking general Americans and counting coup on soldiers but there's no context involved. So there, you have to like piece together where he may have been. And there, mm-hmm. the oral histories just don't track him down that well or have a lot written down on him. So a lot of okay. what is known about him, it's a lot of like, I don't want to say not, not fantasy, but it's a lot of um, mystique, a lot of, you know, mystery around what he does. And that's what a lot of people seem to know about him. So like, I think the most famous story is he got his name because he sat in a battle and staunch, like a sitting bull, like he refused to move like a sitting bull. Chances are that didn't particularly happen, even though there is an example of that happening in his lifetime, but he didn't get his name. Then he already had it going in. So if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
Oh, it also doesn't help too. This is another kind of, not really a side tangent, but he's also, he has powerful visions like crazy horse did. Uh, but he's also has the ability or is said to have had the ability to talk to animals. So there was one story of him being able to talk to like a meadow lark comes up a couple of times or just like some type of songbird that told him there's a bear like right around the, the corner. And I'm assuming the bear isn't like five feet away where you can clearly see there's a bear like, but it basically tells him you have to pretend to lay dead right now or you will be eaten. And apparently the bear actually does show up and get so close to him. He can actually feel the breath from the bear, which would be horrifying. <laughs> I don't think I could play dead, which would mean I would actually just be dead after that. <laughs> oh no. Uh... <laughs> Get the cartoon pepper, like the, the feather underneath. <laughs> Where's that damn metal lark? And why won't he hold his feather under my nose? So I won't sneeze. So there, there's a lot of those stories that go on about him, but um, he did believe that he had, some type of spiritual connection with animals uh, throughout his life, even though we won't talk. And that was like a recorded thing. Like that's what that is in their like history. That's what they, that's what he believed. Yes. That's kind of like in his lore kind of thing. Okay. Okay. And he would have believed it because he does have powerful visions. We just don't particularly go into that in depth in this episode. Cause I want to focus on what he did rather than a lot of the, the whimsy. But uh, in 1856 sitting bull while on raid in the powder river country, notices scouts and finds a large crow camp with a large herd of horses just begging to be stolen by porcupine Creek. Lakota men decide to attack at night and they steal a large amount of the herd. When the crow tracked them down, however, the next day they engage the Lakota and to set up the scene, both sides line up across the field. There are three crow warriors galloped forward to count coup. The first of the crow men did so successfully, but a Lakota warrior named Loud Bear chased them down and removed crow, the Ike Crow's war bonnet from his head, which would be incredibly embarrassing to have your war bonnet taken from your head, from your enemy. So whoop. the scene is so dramatic that it actually became the namesake event for the winter. No. Yeah. <laughs> The winter, the winter, the war bonnet was taken, huh? <laughs> no, no, it's the winter of nan na 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 You know what I'd like to think is, I maybe I'm just not, I'm being too sympathetic towards the crow. Maybe they're just real a-holes. But like, what if it really wasn't a war bonnet? What if it was just like his only stocking hat? And like, no, <laughs> I'm going to freeze out here. What are you doing? <laughs> They're just keep bullying these poor people. Like, what did, what did they do? I'm sure something horrible. Maybe they just like fighting. But anyway, during the same battle, Sitting Bull, wearing his strong, strong heart headdress, finds himself across from a crow war chief. So it's the same battle. Oh. A crow warrior just got his war bonnet lifted off his head. And now Sitting Bull, who is significantly younger than this crow war chief, are staring at each other. Both carry their rifles and ride towards each other. The Crow War Chief shoots his rifle at Sitting Bull and is able to deflect. Sitting Bull is able to deflect the bullet with his shield. The bullet ricochets off of the shield, however, and enters Sitting Bull's foot. And he's not just shot in the foot. It goes in through the toes and exits the heel. Dang. So it goes... Top to bottom, top to bottom, front to back, front to back. 
Uh, real painful is what that is. How did he not lose some toes? Oh, I'm sure he did. He does walk with a limp the rest of his life. You'll be surprised to know. However, whoa, shocking. <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> I'd like to think there's some like teenager that's like calling him a wimp or something like that. <laughs> Stop. Limping. Look at that guy with a limp, dude. It, it, I mean, his toe. I mean, his foot could have been like split. Amputated. You're asking for infection. So we're lucky. Oh, it. yeah. All it was is just a limp. But anyway, Sitting Bull is still very much in this battle, probably not even realizing his foot is in, go about to be in incredible pain. But the crow did just use his single shot. And Sitting Bull it now basically has free reign. He rides up to the, to the war chief, counts coup on him, knocking him to the ground, and then finished him off with his knife. And as the crow scatter away... Sitting Bull just cemented his life as a, his warrior status at 26 years old, approximately. I mean, he took down a war chief. A war chief. I mean, that's like in a video game, a level 10 against a level like 80. He beat I the mean, boss. Come on. That's the boss yeah. level. That's your boss. Yeah. So, yeah, real, real impressive. So, I mean, instantly he's famous now within his tribe. I mean, he's he's been growing up and like what's frustrating with him and kind of like Crazy Horse. It's really hard to tell you how big of a deal they were because the sources don't back up how big of a deal they are. It's just like, yeah, he was very influential. He was very popular. He was the best. But that's all that's kind of said. It's just, OK, he's the best. Why is he the best? Because because they, they, they said he was the best. And like you go wrong with it because it has to be true because there's a reason he is probably the most famous native chief in U.S. history. So like all of it has to be true. He has to impress someone around the wrong the journey. It's just really difficult to like match up why sometimes. So during the 1850s and the 1860s. Immigrants start crossing the country in the U.S. As we've already covered ad nauseum in Red Clouds and Crazy Horses episodes and Custer's episodes, uh, the Sioux were just a tad bit not impressed. Most of the travel is taking well below Lakota hunting territory where Sitting Bull would have like was rolling, which one should tell you just how big Lakota territory was. We just spent the last couple episodes, Red Cloud and Sitting Bull's episodes, on where it seems like this were the only event that matters and sitting bull is north of that and is for the most part unaffected by red clouds war in the aftermath he really starts coming up but like that should tell you just how big his territory their territory is in the fort Laramie treaty of 1851 the treaty inserted safe passes for these immigrants that were passing the train the treaty divided native peoples as some didn't even want the immigrants wanting to come into the territory then the Groton Massacre happened in 1854. The act angered, the Groton Massacre angered Washington so much, they sent out more military into the area, which led to the massacre of brutal men at Ashwater Creek by Harney, which we covered in Crazy Horse's episode. Harney then continues marching his troops up to Fort Pier and demanded to a conference be called. When he is unable to find a chief, well, he just picked one. The man he picked, man, the man he picked was named Bear Ribs, and he just negotiated with him, even giving Bear Ribs a certificate backing him as an officially recognized chief. <laughs> uh, 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 guys, uh, I guess I'm a chief now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. 
I don't want this. I don't know. Like, I don't, I didn't look into bare ribs, but what an incredibly bad position to be in. <laughs> you literally aren't a chief and now you just like did whatever they wanted you to and you're literally to blame. Yeah. You have, you not only have the Americans who probably don't trust you to begin with, but now all your tribe is like, why did they pick you? Hmm. Interesting. What did you tell them? What did you tell them? What? Well, what he told them was uh, basically whatever Harney wanted to hear, because what choice did the man have? Bull bear is, or uh, bear ribs is chief for about six more years when you will not be surprised. His own men turn on him and they end up killing him. So like, it's not. Oh, wait, wait. So the, his tribe recognized that as a chief? Not officially. They didn't. The Americans did. Yeah, but he became, you said he was chief for six more years or when only dealing with the Americans. Only when dealing with the Americans. But like they set up agencies and like, that's the one they dealt with. Like. If this guy was just <laughs> give me bear ribs, <laughs> like I I can't own I can't, I feel bad for him, but like it's it's comically fun. It's it's like sadly funny that he he was probably he might have just been like playing with a yo yo in the corner, and they just said, "Hey, you right there, chief." Well, Come in a way, it. too. That's like how disrespectful is that of the Americans? Like they don't even take the time to know like any sort of the organization the natives had. So then they just go, you, I mean, whatever. Well, what it came down to was um, we're going to pick someone until you say yes. If you don't say yes, uh, maybe we'll encourage you to say yes. So his men turned on him and killed him. Was that because of everything? Eventually, you think? Eventually, yes. They do because, like, they do set up agencies. There are some form of reservation in the 1851 treaty. Uh, that's not like the main meat of the 1851 treaty, but it does. It is kind of a consequence where they are starting to be more dependent on the Americans. Uh, and then you, as you saw, like what led up to the Groton massacre was remember the lonely cow that came on to the reservation for the agent. Uh, yes. It's a lot of that. So uh, poor bear ribs was just kind of forced into this. Um, Yeah. Not great. Uh, in the East, the civil war breaks out in the 1860s, the Dakota uprising, which we have just barely touched on very briefly happens in 1862 in Minnesota. It ends up in being the largest mass hanging in U.S. history. Uh, 30 some? Wasn't 38, it? I believe, at the top of my head. Yeah. But it was basically... I remember reading about that. A lot of the same things that we're talking about that are happening in Dakota Territory happened in Minnesota. It just... there's They deserve their own episode, so we're not really going to touch on it here. But just know that's a big event in this time. That will stay uh, That will stay on their minds for a very long time. The man that leads that was in charge in Minnesota was a man named Major General John Pope, who went in to control the areas to make sure to save for immigrants to, to make sure that they can cross into uh, basically the Missouri River as gold was found in Montana and Idaho. And they were using the Missouri River to bring gold down into into D.C. or into into the states. Pope was very successful in pushing the Sioux westward towards the west side of the Missouri River. So it should also be said, Sitting Bull's tribe 
is obviously nomadic, but they're more east. So like where you think like the eastern side of South Dakota, they're more in North Dakota, but they're kind of there. But now they're being pushed back really for the first time, because if you remember the Sioux up until the 1830s or 40s, like mid-century, didn't really have to deal with the Americans that much. They weren't out there that much until like, well, obviously gold is discovered in California and then they start populating and crossing through is where, where all of this picks up. As you can tell, we just went from 1851 to 1864 in about a blink of an eye. And there's a reason because there's really no idea what Sitting Bull is doing. This is the first case of his pictograph just showing him counting coup against someone. And that's all we get. So, I mean, I guess we can say he's just continually doing what he does. He's raising. Is he rising? Like, is his is his status raising during this whole time period? It would happen. Or to is be. he kind of just right? So he's as as the years go on, he's getting more and more like of a following, right. let's say. Because like you also got to think this pictograph, like they're not just putting this down for someone. Now it's being like reflected back on, but like somebody he would have been remembered because remember, he just killed a Crow War Chief at 26. He was already a notorious fighter in his tribe in his teenage years. It's just we don't get the detail to back it up. <laughs> well, is 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 he becoming a problem for the Americans or are they not really keeping an eye on him? What a wonderful transition because we're just about to get him mentioned by the Americans. Okay. Good job, Matthew. It's like you're reading my notes. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Pope uh, has a man named Alfred Sully, who is a brigadier general, take 2,200 men and fight up the Missouri River, having small skirmish, skirmishes here and there with the Sioux until they reach modern-day Bismarck, North Dakota. Sully passes through a territory that had just finished its annual Sundance ceremony. Matt, do you remember what the Sundance ceremony is? Oh, like like overall, what generally? Was. Just what it was. What was the Sundance? Yeah, it was a big... Um... Oh no! It was when they uh, weren't. It wasn't like a punishment. No, where I, they had to dance or like a spike. They would do something with spikes or something. Oh, you're you're so close. You're well, it's right on the tip of your tongue. Oh, I know I'm so close. I just can't remember. It's it. not a punishment. They would dance. Yes, they would dance until the sun came up. Was it? No, but I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You would you would dance. I'm close, for, but I can't remember 100. You would dance basically for 24 straight hours, and you would put a large spike through two parts of your back, like basically above your shoulder blades, and then you would attach that to a rope to a pole, and then you would dance for an extended period. I think it was 24 hours, and then at the end, you would be expected to fling yourself away from the pole, basically scraping out, uh, ripping out the the pole from your back. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, we, you did the same thing during Red Cloud's episode. Uh, and then if that wasn't worse enough, then they would take a ceremonial knife because there's nothing more horrifying than the words ceremonial knife. Right. And they would uh, basically cut the excess skin off of like where the, the former pole was. I'm sorry if this is grossing anyone out, but they would scrape that and then they would offer that up to the sun. Oh, uh, OK. Yep, I remember. A la the sun. So whatever, whatever the flesh was taken from them is what they would offer up to the sun. Yes. We won't talk about it a whole lot, but just know Sitting Bull really liked himself a sun dance. Like, 
that he would do himself or he was he really and i'm not going to say he enjoyed performing a sundance but it was he wasn't shy about performing a sundance so just know every i don't know every 20 minutes just picture a sundance happening and sitting bull just doing that he was very prolific on it so anyway sully's entering this territory that just had its sundance ceremony and as many as 5,000 to 8,000 Sioux attend. Wow. Now, this isn't Little Bighorn. He is famous. This is 1864. Now, he didn't throw it. He is part of it, but he is he's, he's known at the very least. A third of those Sioux were likely warriors, Sitting Bull obviously being one of them. So Sully and this newly like broken up Sundance ceremony of about 2,000 Sioux warriors meet on july 28 1864 the sundance itself left its one warrior feeling particularly invincible his name was lone dog which is a pretty cool name i do like the name lone dog i know oh no here he comes lone dog dog. takes off the sunglasses (laughs) doesn't what i miss nothing (laughs) (laughs) so anyway lone dog believe that he was immune to American bullets wanting, to, uh. wanting to prove it. He approached the line of Americans who are already in battle and skirmishing lines. He rides towards the cavalry and runs parallel well within their line of sight at top speed. And he returns unscathed. Whoa. Okay. Did they fire? They do. Yes. I don't think they were. Oh. Yes, there, there were bullets. <laughs> it wouldn't be that. He returns unscathed. Not a single shot was fired. <laughs> Who brought the guns with the cork for the <laughs> for the with the cork bullets? Everyone. Who what do you it? mean? There's no gunpowder. What? <laughs> that would be so depressing. You just hear a line of click, 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 click. Oh no. <laughs> So, dang, he's like, oh, I just keep thinking, like, this is crazy. Like, they say it, and then it happens. I know he's not wearing a leather jacket, but, like, he's, like, puffing out a leather jacket, like, <laughs> greasing over his hair. Greasing his hair back, yeah. Just, if he's the Fonz, he's hitting the, ju- like, the music. The big like, aviators, like, oh, yeah. seriously. Oh, he yeah. must have came back and everyone been like, whoa. See, now, when he does come back, he just feels like he hasn't been brave enough. Oh, my gosh. So he does it again. (laughs) And he returns unharmed. Oh, two for two. And he returns with 19 bullet holes. He is dead. No. Oh, no. He's still very much unharmed. Uh, This stunt inspired... Uh, anyone who was watching because that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. And to top it all off, his name is Lone Dog. Yep. Pretty cool. So, uh, he inspired everyone, including a warrior named Man Who Never Walked. And as his name implied, he was born with deformed and useless legs, but he insisted that he be allowed to fight. Now, I'm not going to, I will spoil this. This one doesn't turn out great for for the man who never walked but just to kind of show you the bravery he insists 
that he's going to be led into this battle. And he after he sees Lone Dog do what he did, he is inspired like, no, I will be fighting. So what they do or what he insists he's going to do is he's going to be attached to a horse and he's going to be dragged on a cart. And he's just going to have his arrow and he's going to he's going to fire. Kind of like, are you talking like kind of like chariot kind of thing or kind of, but he's just kind of like sliding along. Like there's no like being dragged like on a sled, right? which there is no defense for him. Like lit. And I don't mean like, right. I mean, if he, if something happens to the horse or whatever, he's done. Like he can't run away. He's just stuck. And that's exactly what happens. Unfortunately, um, his horse does get shot very loathly. And he, the last thing he sees, he is an older man. So like he did just want to be part of like one big battle. And right. all he can do is just sing his death song until ultimately it happens. But like, uh, if you want to talk about bravery, man who never walked has to be near the top of that list. I mean, he knew going in that it was probably a one way right. trip. And in fact, it, a lot of the warriors were like, please don't make us do this. Like, I don't want to see this happen. And he, he went for it. Well, I mean, he, he's defenseless. Yes. It's like, literally he only can do offense. Yes. Yeah. It's uh. So did you okay, so what happened was his horse died or his horse got killed and then he just kinda had to like sit there until sit there and wait for it to happen, and, essentially. Yep. Cause it's not like other warriors could come and grab him it's too. It's the heat of the battle. Like they, they obviously yeah. try, but like yeah, there's not much you can do. Okay. All right. Anyway. Sully may not necessarily have the numbers advantage during this battle, but he does have the technology advantage. And in fact, we've seen it countless times before. He's able to use artillery on the Sioux that force them to spread out so that they can't really cluster together to form an attack. Any attempt they do, they the Sioux have to advance on Sully is broken up by the artillery and they're just unable to break through. So it does end up being a loss for the Sioux uh, with Sitting Bull in, included. But... You really don't know how big of a battle it was because the Sioux lose between, and this is military records, between 31 men and 150. That's it. No, no, no. Uh, 31 men and 100. So but the, my point is there's a large spread. So 150 men may have been dead or 31 men have been dead. What that should tell you is that maybe the casualty counts aren't always the most accurate for the Americans. Because there is a definite difference between 31 and 150. It's not like it's between 30 and 40. Typically, how you can judge it, if the Americans have high casualty counts, uh, the the Native Americans' casualty counts also kind of jump up, like, way above what it was. So... You mean like if, okay, so if, if the Americans had a high casualty, would the Native Americans be higher or would it be typically a little yep. bit higher? It would be a little bit so higher. It, yes, it would always be higher for some miraculous reason. Right. Now, generally, like we've seen throughout this podcast that when Native American fighters rail up against American soldiers, the advantage goes to American soldiers because just they have the technology advantage, all the things we've already talked about. Equipment but, and all that, yeah. But I think what this proves is that the Americans probably had a few more casualties than they'd like to admit because they only claim to lose 10. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm just going to leave that there. 
After the battle, Sully looks to follow follow up and battle the Sioux, but is unable to outrun as he's very slow moving and the natives can just kind of scatter much faster. Sitting Bull then spends the fall and summer after the loss of Kildare Mountain attacking wagon trains and small skirmishes with the Americans. However, in September 1864, Sitting Bull gets shot in the hip trying to overpower a wagon train and is out for some time to recover. And that's really all the detail you get on that. Wonderful. By 1865, the Civil War ends and the American army and government now can take its full force into the West and focus out there. The U.S. would debate over how they would get lands from the Americans. But Sitting Bull is going to make his stance quite clear. He told his people that they had lived without the Americans for generations before and that they would continue to do so. He said that the United States was stuck, was sucking all of his tribe into dependence in order to eventually annihilate them. Sitting Bull would then pull his knife out and cut himself explaining that this fate awaited for anyone that wanted to deal with the Americans. Pretty dramatic, but also very accurate. Kind of nailed that one. (laughs) So Sitting Bull right now is an unknown figure for the Americans until there's a a failed attack on Sully's fort, uh, on Fort Rice on Sully in 1865. Sully would write of Sitting Bull for the first time in September, and I'm just going to read out the quote. Quote, at one time, the feeling was very strong to come in and surrender. He is speaking of the of the tribe, obviously. To continue the quote, a chief called Sitting Bull, hearing this on his return to camp, went through the different villages, cutting himself with a knife and crying out that he was just from the fort and that all those who had come in had given themselves up, had been killed and calling in on the nation to avenge their murder. Now, you'll notice I didn't really talk about Sitting Bull talking about all of the murder. He did talk about they wanted to be annihilated. Both of those stories are related, but it's you can kind of see Sully like ratcheting up, kind of using rumors like, hey, I need more men. They're kind of scary right now. Um, Please send us some help. And this is his his way of doing it. But um, Sitting Bull may have been was obviously preaching this, but it's not like the literal sense that Sully makes it out to be. Mainly the fighting is south of Sitting Bull's people's territory. When I say the fighting, I mean Red Cloud's war is really starting to ramp up again. Sitting Bull isn't really affected by Red Cloud's war. He really spends his time during the next couple of years uh, between 1865 and like really the end of the decade just raiding uh, attacking soldiers, attacking Americans, tribes, so on and so forth. Um, but just as the Fetterman fight happens, Sitting Bull and his Lakota are now far away. In fact, he leads war parties against a trespassing cri- tribe called the Flatheads who live near the Rocky Mountains. Now, the two tribes would actually trespass on each other, on each other's land, as they're both following the same buffalo herds. And on these raids, Sitting Bull claimed that in two days they would run into the Flatheads and that there would be a fight. And sure enough, a couple days later, they find a Flathead camp. Now, there's really no big ambush here. So you might be asking, why am I even including this? But it does show that he does have like either these hunches or he does have these visions that can prophesy the future. 
and this is really starting to ratchet up during this time. So he's really building this reputation of not only being a great warrior, but now he can read the future, which I believe would make him invincible everywhere else in the world. So just keep that in mind as we go ahead. They should also say that there are some debate about Sitting Bull in this time. There were a lot of testimonies given to a man named Stanley Vestal in the 1930s by surviving Hunk Papa Lakota that would claim that Sitting Bull was claimed to be the supreme chief of the whole Sioux Nation during this time. And it just doesn't seem likely because if you got to think of it, this is Red Cloud's time. He's really the main main attraction. So it probably wasn't Sitting Bull as the Supreme Chiefs of the Sioux Nation. And also we got to keep in mind, the Sioux just aren't that structured. So for him to claim that title, it just it likely didn't happen. So um, he's still influential, but he's nowhere near the Supreme Chief of the whole nation. Okay, now we're going to hit Fort Laramie. And this is where events finally start to catch up to Sitting Bull and his band of Hunk Papa. In 1868, the Fort Laramie Treaty starts up in April, and the Americans want the Hug Papa to sign the Fort Laramie Treaty as they want all the tribes to sign the treaty. And they try to grease the wheels with the traffic with it by sending a Catholic priest named Father DeSmit to see just how open they are to any of the treaty uh, obligations. With Sitting Bull there, he laid out a fairly moderate position considering the context. He, as in Sitting Bull, is laying out his position. He would say to, to Father DeSmit, quote, tell the grandfather, who is President Grant, tell the grandfather, I do not want anyone to bother my people. I want them to live in peace. I myself have plans for my people, and if they follow my plans, they will never want. They will never hunger. I wish for traitors only and no soldiers on my reservation. God save us. God gave us this land, and we are at home here. I will not have my people robbed. We can live here and keep the Black Hills. We do not want to eat from the hands of the grandfather. Which you should think, or sorry, you shouldn't think, you can think whatever you would like. But that's not a hard stance to have. Leave us alone and we'll trade with you. That's it. Seems reasonable. Seems easy. Yeah. Thinking he made himself clear, Sitting Bull does not sign the Fort Laramie Treaty. However, another representative of the Hunk Papa did. No! Instead of having the Americans leave as Sitting Bull wished, the treaty increases the American presence in the territory. The Lakota break into almost two immediate camps after the Fort Laramie Treaty. So we've already talked about you have Red Cloud and the India, the the Indian agency, and then you have the non-treaty the non-treaty Sioux. Uh, that basically, Sitting Bull kind of becomes the figurehead. Crazy Horse is also on the rise too, but Sitting Bull is kind of like the next man up after Red Cloud, so to speak. After he loses a, like a, a lot of his influence by signing the treaty. So the so the two sides are Red Cloud in the treaty and Sitting Bull and the not I'm not signing the treaty. Those are the kind of the two factions. Kind of, and I'm even I know I just phrased it out in a way that would say that that's the case, but like they're more mascots and think like this is more uh, Americanized. So like if you're an American, you're gonna think 
Red Bull, he's the or Red Cloud, he's the good one. Sitting Bull, he's the bad one. Like those are the quick and dirty like reference points. But obviously, it's so much more complex than that. Right. So just keep in mind for the purposes of this podcast, it's Sitting Bull versus Red Cloud for everyone else. But that's really not what's happening. As a big part of the Fort Laramie Treaty, the Sioux were forced obviously onto the reservations for not only to keep travel safe for Americans, but specifically for the railroads. Now, even in our episode where we talked about the Fort Laramie Treaty in detail, we did talk about that the United States made it very clear that they did not want any attacks on the railroads, but we didn't really go into it. And to add context, the Transcontinental Railroad will be completed in under a year, much farther south than what we're talking. While that is the most famous railway line going through the area, it's not the only one. It's only going to be first of many. The Lakota already don't like wagon trains going through their area, but at least they're just passing through. If it wasn't immediate, obviously, it's obvious to the Lakota, it becomes clear that when the railroads show up, they're now also producing towns. When the railroads show up, they're intending to stay. As early as August 1869, Sitting Bull is, raid, is leading raids against the train stations, which is directly against the Fort Laramie Treaty. Even though Sitting Bull had not signed the document, again, another member of the Hunk Papa did, which makes Sitting Bull a very naughty boy in the eyes of the Americans. What are you doing? What do you mean? I don't want this here. Obviously, I'm going to attack this. You understand why I'm attacking this, right? Like, you know. So Naughty Boy Sitting Bull would lead raids against the Northern Pacific Railroad constantly throughout 1871 and 1872. And specifically on August 14th, 1872, he runs into Major General Eugene Baker and his cavalry. And what is, I know I said I've complained about the lack of detail, but I'm just going to read the paragraph so you all can understand where my level is at, because there's a lot more to this story that we don't get. But anyway, in Bill Yen's book, there's an interview with a man named White Bull. And, quote, White Bull later recalled that the impurpitous younger warriors charged the cavalry's head at Pryor's Fork, trading shots with the troopers, daring them to hit the Lakota lads on their fast horses. To demonstrate his own bravery in different ways, Sitting Bull strode up to the middle of the battlefield within view of the troopers, sat down and nonchalantly smoked his pipe. This was the all with all this was seen by all as a profoundly display as bravery as it underscored his growing reputation as a holy man. End quote. That's it. He sat down in the middle of a battle smoking his pipe, which is really cool. But I'd like more. And scene. <laughs> But wait, what happened? What happened, Grandpa? Oh, some things. Things happened. Okay, I'm going to stop complaining about the lack of detail because I feel like I've done that a whole lot. My frustration's over. And as Sitting Bull gets closer like to the Americans, he gets a lot more sourced and like there's a lot more there. So we're about to really hit the bulk of this episode. But Custer leads the 7th Cavalry into the Black Hills uh, after the rumors of gold hits. And then the American government also wants to buy the Black Hills. When it is offered to the Hung Papa, Sitting Bull made his point pretty clear, 
when he was asked to when he asked to attend the conference. He declines, but he does so by picking up a pinch of dirt in between his thumb and his index finger and said, quote, I do not want to sell or lease any land to the government, not even as much as this. And then he throws a little pinch of dirt on the ground. Oh, he got you, son. He's not dealing at all. Do not talk to me about selling. It's not going to happen. By 1875, President Grant is losing patience with politely asking the natives for their land, and now he's decided he's just going to take it. The Fort Laramie Treaty issued the natives had to be on the reservations, but the U.S. had been kind of lax enforcing it, kind of more of a strong suggestion at this point. But now, uh, Grant is all boo-boo-faced. And he really wants them all on the reservation. This is where he declares at basically December 1875 that they needed to be on the reservation by January 1876. Or else. Or else. Yes. Or else is about right. When the or else doesn't happen, he sends out Phil Sheridan and George Crook. They were then sent into a rare winter expedition to enforce the deadline. And a cat and mouse game throughout the winter ensues as the, quote, winter roamers set up a very busy year that's going to end up being 1876. Sitting Bull is part of these winter roamers who are just just outside of the reach of the American uh, cavalry and the, and the army, just constantly. The Lakota realize that this will be a defining year on the plains. So Sitting Bull calls out for one last Sundance ceremony sometime during the summer. There is no way for him to understand how big the response is going to be. But what ends up happening is that as many as 10,000 show up to his called Sundance that will end up being the on the greasy grass for the Battle of Little Bighorn. You can kind of think of it as like the Lakota like last summer out. It's almost like a Lakota Woodstock. Like they know this is a big year. Let's do one final big thing. Cause we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Sitting bull. Isn't just a spectator. He's leading it. And other than bleeding and participating in the dance in June, he has a, a vision that said, quote, that he had seen many soldiers following into the camp like grasshoppers because they were upside down in his vision. He knew the soldiers would die. His visions also warned that the people should not mutilate and steal any of the upside down soldiers. That was his vision. Someone's going to come attack us. He was telling them though, that when they kill them, don't like mutilate their bodies or anything like that. Don't do anything. Just, Correct. I mean, we, we want, like, we'll, we'll kill them. That's it. Yep. We won. There's no reason to keep, to keep going. Um, in which case you could, if you're playing devil's advocate, this really isn't much of a vision. Is it, you know, they're out, you know, they're looking for you. Now he does do, right. he does have pretty good timing because they are at little Bighorn, and they are being hunted. Um, but also, there's 10,000 of them there. They're just asking to be found, essentially. It's just so funny. Like, they're being hunted. There's, bro, there's 10,000 of right. them. <laughs> how, how, like, how hard do you have to hunt for 10,000 people? They're hide-and-seek champions is what they are. Maybe they have uh, green-covered uh, blankets that just follow them with the grass. Right? Like, where are they? Shh. Everyone, be very quiet. Everyone quiet. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's someone with a lampshade on their head. Like, how are they? <laughs> Where is he? I can't see him. <laughs> what if it was just a big, like, it was the prairie version of Marco Polo and they just weren't saying Polo back? Right. I, we said to say Polo. You got to say Polo. Follow the rules, guys. I don't understand why you're not following the rules. God, yeah, they were hunting them, all right. Jeez. Well, also keep in mind, uh, Custer is one of the men hunting them down. We went in detail just how good of a oh, tracker yeah. he was. I mean, how many times did he make the wrong? Sir, that's a deer. <laughs> nope, there. That's why that's human. Doesn't matter. I'm going to hunt down and kill it anyway. Whatever he found and tracked down, it was dead. It was going to be dead, or it was his horse that he shot in the back of his head. He was a madman. <laughs> What an idiot. <laughs> anyway, a couple of days later, Crazy Horse and Crook meet at the Battle of the Rosebud. Many believe this is the battle Sitting Bull had visioned, but because Crook and his men were not killed, it couldn't have been the same. So they continue to wait. And in fact, they even talk about they're going to end the Sundance. They're already in the process of breaking up because you do have obviously like the wild Sioux or the wild Lakota that have never been on the, the agency or the reservation, but you also have quite a few uh, agency Sioux also who are also who are allowed to leave the reservation because they can go on Buffalo hunts. That is allowed. Um, so keep in mind that's going to muddy things up in a bit. So now we're going to enter George Custer on June 25th. Unaware that George Crook and Crazy Horse had a fight a couple of days earlier, Custer sees evidence of a really large group of natives, and it is confirmed shortly as they were only a couple of miles away. Again, Custer always feared that the natives would run. It was not a debate in his head. If he attacked, the natives would run. They wouldn't stand and fight. And so far in his life, that had been proven ultimately true. However... Yeah. It should have been predictable with hindsight, but when you factor in that one crazy horse just led a battle against Crook a couple of days before, and also where else do the Sioux have to go after this? They have no reason to back down. This is already the last summer out. And there's what thousands and thousands. Yes. And there's the big one. Uh, we're much bigger than you now. I don't care if you have the technology advantage. There's 10,000 of us. Now, obviously, that's men, women, children, and the elderly. Like earlier, it's probably like a third or a quarter of that. But that's still, you're talking hundreds of men for the Americans and thousands for the Sioux and the Cheyenne. Sitting Bull probably had learned of Custer about the day before on the 24th probably when they decided they were going to end the, the Sundance. Regardless of when he knew when who the army was or who was there, he knew they were coming. They were looking through soldiers' backpacks when Reno attacked a camp around 2 p.m. In an interview a year later, Sitting Bull actually gave a pretty detailed length, so we're going to let him tell most of the story. When he was there when Reno troops fired and first attacked, Sitting Bull said, quote, I was lying in my lodge. Some young men ran up to me and said that the long hair was in camp and to get up. They are firing into the camp. I said, all right. And I came, I stepped up and stepped out of my lodge. He continued, 
The old men and the wives and their children were hurried away to the other side of the camp. The many Kanju women and children were left at the lodges when the attack began. Sitting Bull then urged his warriors to fear nothing and to surge right in. He gives orders of encouragement to the warriors and run into the battle before he himself heads towards the line. After a tactical retreat from which the from where they attacked some cavalry, some men into the bushes, Reno's men then dismounted their horses and set up two skirmishing lines. Sitting Bull was confused and wondered why the men were so willingly to give up their mobility, but continued his attack, first expecting to be chased as they scattered away from the fleeing natives. Reno and his men were then stunned to face when they're actually being counterattacked. Sitting Bull then watches Reno order his men to halt. Reno feared of being outflanked and cut off, and he was correct, as that's exactly what happened. And if you kind of remember it, this is, I believe, the, the, the charge that Crazy Horse led. And just kind of picture Sitting Bull uh, watching all of this. I believe that's that same attack. Reno ordered his men to move back upstream, where they could take cover in some trees in the river. Sitting Bull would say of Reno's men, quote, They were brave, but they were tired. I tell no lies about dead men. These men who came with the long hair, long hair, by the way, is Custer. Um, I haven't made that clear. He came with the long hair and were as brave as men as ever fought. When they rode up their horses where they were tired, when they were get off their horses, they could barely stand firmly on their feet. They swayed to and fro. So my young men had told me like the limbs of the cypress and the great wind. Some of them staggered underneath the weight of their own guns, but they began to fight at once. But by this time, I have said our camp was aroused and there were plenty of warriors to meet them. They fired with needle guns, which are single shot rifles. We replied with magazine guns and repeating rifles. It was so it was so or our young men resigned and led across the river and drove our young braves, the white braves back. And when they rushed across themselves, they found themselves and doing a great more deal of harm than good. Reno again ordered a retreat, but the warriors were just at too much of an advantage. Reno never stood a chance, and as soon men as soon his men abandoned post, as it's now every man for himself. With Reno's men skirmishing away, Sitting Bull then turns his head to the north side of the camp, where he sees Custer's men. Not that he knew it was Custer at the time, but he sees them now attacking above on a ridge. Custer was still feared that the natives would retreat even as they are still attacking Reno. Once it becomes clear that the natives were very much not running away and that they were definitely about to attack Custer, he attempts to make a defensive line on a hill which is now known as Custer's Hill. Sitting Bull said in his interview, quote, They kept in a pretty good order some. Great Chief must have commended them all the while while they would fall back across the coulee and make a fresh stand. Beyond on higher ground, every man kept fighting until the last, so far as my people could see, as there were no cowards on either side. While talking about Custer and his eventual last stand, Sitting Bull would say, quote, Where the last fighting co- took place, where the last stand was made, the long hair stood up on like a sheaf of corn, with the ears falling all around him. He killed a man when he fell. He laughed. He laughed as, his fi- as he fired his last shot. He rose up to his hands and tried another shot, but his pistol would not go off. Custer was now dead, 
and the Lakota and the Cheyenne just pulled off the greatest victory in Native American history. Despite stories, Custer's body was found stripped naked, but not nearly mutilated as some of the stories came back to the United States. His eardrums were punctured, as that was his punishment for not listening during the Battle of the Washita. But he didn't like get scalped and like mutilated no. and all that. Because if you think of it, the Lakota and like they'll respect a warrior or they'll respect a good fighter. Um, Custer did fight until the the end. Well, I mean, as you, I mean, even as you're explaining it, all the people that talked about it were like they were great warriors and they, you know, fought hard, just as hard as us. And so it's right. not like they were like those guys sucked. We gave them what they got. Right. I also think it is so fitting that Custer was laughing as he, like, because he had I, to. I, I was thinking that too when you were saying it. Like, <laughs> I could just picture him with like blood in his mouth, you know, like he was going mm. down and he was just like, ah, 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 ah. He, he died what he loved doing. Something incredibly stupid. <laughs> he right. Loved doing very stupid things. I'm sure his men thought it was equally funny as they're also being killed. I'm sure it was great. Oh, yeah. They were having a blast. They were having a hoot. The next day after the battle, the Lakota and the Cheyenne do not chase the nearby Americans. Instead, thinking it's best that everyone just go back to where they came from. Which kind of leaves the ultimate what if, because there is a significant military force if the tribes chose to fight the Americans. Now, eventually the Americans would have just sent out more, uh, more troops, but... Not that I, I'm going to stop bringing up his name, but the Shawnee warrior who I have a crush on, uh, if he had that those numbers, you you best believe he would have attacked and he would have done something with it. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to say this beloved man, but, you know, it's fine. I'm not bitter. It's fine. I just want everyone to know about him. <laughs> now I'm going to shut up because now people are going to be like, he's talking about him again. Seriously, dude, get a life. <laughs> so Sitting Bull leaves Little Bighorn, the Battle of Little Bighorn, with 240 lodges under his control, which is a lot of people. <laughs> 240 homes is a lot. That My hometown is probably not even 240 houses, but most of which are men, women, and children, but... He's not about to plan a continuous attack against these soldiers because, again, they're coming to their doorstep every time the Americans fight them. However, the Americans can immediately use Custer's death as propaganda. Stories begin that Sitting Bull personally killed Custer when in reality they had never met. So he's becoming public enemy number one. You dang right he is. He is... The ultimate baddie. If you haven't heard about Sitting Bull, let me tell you. Look at this horrible atrocity that he committed against poor George Custer, who did not. Oh, what do you know? Custer was mutilated and torn to bits. He wasn't just killed. They defiled him. He didn't even deserve it. He didn't. He attacked first, but we're a war hero. Just he had such great hair. He didn't even consider he had great hair when he killed him. Flowing locks of love. That's what they called them. 
Mr. Flowing Locks of Love. Mr. Flowing Locks of Love. That sounds like yep. a Tinder profile. I can just see the wind blowing in his hair. It did that day. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's all it could do. So life on the reservation uh, becomes, we'll say, more stringent. Some Lakota, like we said before, did leave the reservation to attend the Sundance, but obviously plenty never did. The agencies immediately take the Sioux weapons and to stop any further violence, but more importantly, they take away their ability to leave the reservation to go on buffalo hunts. Yeah, I was going to ask if that, if that was affected. Sure was. You can't really hunt with your bare hands. Back east... President Grant takes the opportunity to open up the Black Hills and any unceded land is now basically open to the public. More and more Americans come in, which will require more military to keep them safe. So was it like, was he like, oh, okay, you want to do that? All right, let's open it up. Everything's fair game now. Kind of. It wasn't dissimilar to that. You just, he, he had the opportunity to do it. And now, if you remember right, if you remember, Grant was not a fan of Custer, but public opinion, public opinion might be, I might, I might. Oh, okay. So the the people love Custer. So, hey, we got his back. The man who was sent down to basically track down Sitting Bull and then also the Cheyennes is Lieutenant General Nelson A. Miles who does so in relatively quick fashion, mainly because Sitting Bull really isn't fleeing. And if you think of it as like just an objective standpoint, Sitting Bull hasn't done much to anger the Americans. He's attacked some railroad posts. He's done plenty of raiding. And yes, he did just lead the band that killed Custer, but Custer attacked him first. It's not like he's really on this huge war path. He's just the leader of his tribe. So he might not quite understand that the Americans really want to see him dead or at least captured. Ideally, I shouldn't say they want to see him dead. They want to see him subdued because if they can bring the great sitting bull onto the agency on the reservation and convert him, boy, is that a real big win in the PR department? The man who killed Custer now wants to be one of us, not dead, wants to be one of us. Like that would be, Men back east have wet dreams over that happening. Right. So Miles and Sitting Bull meet. And during the course of two days, Miles tells Sitting Bull that it's only a matter of time before all of the all of the Sioux, Hunk Papa included, would all be placed on the reservation. Miles asked Sitting Bull where he would even like his agency to be. Sitting Bull said that he would come. But he wanted to go on a hunt first, and when he had enough for the week, for the winter, he would come by. Day one ends cordially. So they're probably thinking, okay, okay, this is going good. This, this is, going is going good. Going. I like what this is going. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Something happens on night two. I'm going to take a leap of guess is that Nelson Miles either thought or somebody politically smartened him up that there is no way you're going to let the man who killed Custer leave when he's in your grasp. 
No right. way are you going to let that happen. He went back to his ten. Okay, I like it. I like it. It was good. Uh, you're seriously let him gonna go hunt for a while and then just magically come back. He's not coming back, sir. Right. You need to put your foot down. The next day, however, the tone completely changes. Miles even starts bringing back things not related to Custer, and he now demands that the Sioux return stolen mules that the Lakota had taken. Sitting Bull then demanded rather sarcastically that he would be he would love to return the mules as soon as the americans returned the buffalo they had scared away oh i can only imagine how loud that silence was as miles like you see that grass over there that's all trampled on that's your fault yep yep all those that's those you just have to think it's just both of them staring at each other. Angry. My wife left me six years ago. <laughs> Your fault. Everyone's problems come down to sitting bull. Yes. Miles then demanded that sitting bull go to the reservation right away. There is no hunting. There is no traveling. Sitting bull just walked out. This conference is now over. And after a small chase that they call the battle of cedar creek it's not really a battle as like miles's men chase after the sioux but they no one's hurt or anything or not really they just kind of run away so i don't know how much of a battle it really is but that the sioux get away so less than a year after little bighorn do you remember how many lodges sitting bull had right at little bighorn was it 140 240 240. Sitting Bull now has 40 under his control. What? He lost that many? Yes. He lost 200. He lost 200, which is 86% less than he had at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Now, again, it's hard to describe just how much vengeance the Americans had other than to phrase it that way. When the Americans came out, they meant business. If you weren't on the agency, you're going there now. There is no debate. If you weren't on there before, we will hunt you down. If you don't want to be hunted, get on there now. Do they hunt them down and kill them or hunt them down and force them? They're going to put them on the agency. Now, if they happen to fight, there's really no like major battles, but there is fighting. Deaths do happen, but there's no like real big uh, like blow off. So it's basically we will hunt you down and force you on. Yes. Okay. So one option Sitting Bull does have is that he can leave for Canada. They're not that far away from the border, and there's really nothing the Americans can do can do after they cross it. And in fact, they do less than a year, just a little bit over a year after the Battle of Little Bighorn. Crazy Horse is killed, and that is when they head into Canada. The celebrity of Custer's death makes Sitting Bull the equivalent of public enemy number one, as we talked about. Quickly, the Canadian government isn't particularly thrilled to have the Lakota and Sitting Bull on their land just out the reach of the Americans. But they're Canadian, so like they're going to be really polite and not... not hey, we need you to, uh, you know... Think about leaving, don't you know, eh? <laughs> hey there, boy. Do you think uh, that that American land looks pretty good over there, no? 
You don't want to. Them, uh, them Americans there? are looking for you. I think you need to uh, get the scooting. Got to answer the phone, huh? You got to pick them up, <laughs> dial them up. You got to return that call, I think. Oh, you you want to stay? Are, are, are you sure? Are you... I, I don't think you can. There's no room here in Canada. It's kind of it's kind of small. <laughs> yeah, Canada's very small. <laughs> Not enough like, room. He's trying to put like those horse blinders on him. Like, no, there's no other room here. You can't see anything. I mean, there's trees that way and that way. No, no room for uh for a human folk. <laughs> well, because they're Canada, they do allow Sitting Bull and his band to come in, but they're really skittish about it. Eventually. Uh, General Terry, Custer's former boss, does get permission to enter Canada and talk with Sitting Bull on the, on his new land. Probably with the Canadian government like holding its breath the entire time. Like, please don't make this an international incident. We didn't want this. Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> but you'll be surprised to know that Sitting Bull originally doesn't want to go to this meeting. But it takes a very friendly Mountie to persuade him to attend the negotiation. I will just read a lengthy quote from Sitting Bolt about his meeting with Terry to just give you an idea how it went. Sitting Bolt said, quote, you have kept me and my people and have treated us bad. What have we done that should make you want us to stop? We have done nothing. It is all our people on your side who have started making trouble. We could go nowhere else and took refuge here. It was on this side of the line that we first learned of shoot, first learned to shoot, and that's why I came back here again. I would like to know why you came here. I did not give you my country, but you followed me here from place to place, and I had to come here. Look at me. I have ears. I have eyes to see with. If you think of me a fool, then you are a bigger fool than I am. This house is a medicine house. You come here to tell us lies, and we do not want to listen to them. We don't wish such language to be, to be used to me, nor such lies told to me in my grandmother's house. The grandmother's house, they're talking about Canada. Queen Victoria is the grandmother of Canada, the British rule, all that. Continue and finally finished. Don't say two more words. Go back to your home where he came from, where you came from. Pretty successful negotiation, don't you think? So so good. Terry just goes home. He just takes Sitting Bull's advice. Okay, Mr. Bull, you, you made your point. Sitting Bull and his tribe stay in Canada. Who, again, uh, still would rather them not be on there, but they are allowing them to be on there. They could kick them out, but they're just so dang polite. They're just giving them too much maple syrup and they just can't, they, they refuse to leave. For two years, the hunk papa sit and would have likely been able to stay if there had been enough game to sustain their life. But in short, there isn't. Sitting Bull was once adamant that when the buffalo were no longer able to sustain the life of the Lakota, they would then hunt mice. But apparently now mice was about all that they could find. Some of his men and his men, they're starting to starve. While in Canada, the Lakota on that are still in the United States believe that Sitting Bull had abandoned them. 
families, again, had been split off and had pressure to return home from Canada to the United States. So it's not even just agency, non-agency. It's now Canadian Lakota versus American Lakota. And like you're missing your family. There's a big dichotomy, especially when food starts running out. And on the agency, they are promising food like the agency isn't looking so bad. It's just obviously incredibly dangerous for Sitting Bull. Well, yeah, I mean, if he goes back, he's as good as dead, pretty much. He would probably have that fear, but he doesn't have a choice. And if you think he is leading his tribe. So he does make the decision that he's going to turn over his gun and he reports to the Standing Rock Reservation. Oh, no. Okay. Life on the reservation gives an unexpected consequence for Sitting Bull who now has his first permanent address. What do you think he receives? Uh, fan mail. Correct. Look at you. Look <laughs> at you and your smartness. He does receive fan mail. Americans who had all but feared the Sioux now kind of view him as a curiosity as the man who killed Custer. It's amazing what a few years will do between instant anger and like, how'd you do it? I was just thinking that, like, they hated him, and then they're like, wait a second, okay. Yeah, how did you do that now? How, yeah, how did you beat this unbeatable man? Now that you think of it, he was kind of a prick. Tell me how you murdered him again and again, <laughs> please. <laughs> so Sitting Bull becomes a celebrity, even learning how to spell his name in English to sell autographs. Oh, dang, he became a, a straight celebrity. Right up. Someone who definitely wasn't a fan was the, man, was the man in charge of the Standing Rock Agency, a man named James McLaughlin. McLaughlin said that he would not make Sitting Bull a prominent member of the reservation and that he would have to earn it through assimilation. And that Sitting Bull was equal to everyone else. The two men just kind of annoy each other for the next, like, decade or so. They really don't like each other. Both of them, and you do get the sense it's like McLaughlin trying to be like, no, I'm in charge. You're not in charge. And Sitting Bull is just sitting back and everyone, like, looks at him and, like, what do you want us to do, <laughs> Sitting Bull? Like, what do you? <laughs> and McLaughlin's like, just no. The hand, like, no, don't. Everyone quiet, okay. please. Everyone quiet. And then there's McLaughlin like in the corner, but I'm in charge. I'm the one that tells you what to do. Just it's it's not correct. But I'm in charge. <laughs> Stop listening to him. So McLaughlin's strategy to keep Sitting Bull humble and not important, he takes an interesting strategy. Care to guess? Whips him? Nope. Uh, does the opposite of whatever Sitting Bull says. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> Everyone be seated. I'm standing. <laughs> but no, he, in, in the hopes of speeding up Sitting Bull's assimilation process, he allows Sitting Bull to leave the reservation and be shown in local parades, celebrations, and sideshows. Was that to get him out of there? Or? So that would speed up assimilation. He would become a white person even faster if he was allowed to do these. Oh, because he was around everybody. Like he was around 
like American. Yes, and all that. he'd get to see the culture, and not just any sideshows. He joins Buffalo Bill's Cody's Wild West show. <laughs> Say what? Sure does. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh dang! Okay. While on tour, Sitting Bull would give money uh, that he made to beggars. Uh, or send money back to the reservation. Now, obviously, he would keep some of that money for himself, too. Like, don't completely give everything. But he does give a majority of it back. Bill would allow him, would allow Sitting Bull to sell autographs and wouldn't even take a cut of it. He would then pay Sitting Bull $50 a week, which was pretty good for the time. That's pretty good, yeah. And then even gave him a signing bonus of $125. Dang. Buffalo okay. Bill would then tr- cover all travel expenses and then would pay uh, any expense from the Standing Rock Reservation back to them. Buffalo Bill did all right in this one. If you're kind of expecting him to just like run him over the coals and like take complete advantage of him. And it just seems like he treated him like a human. What an idea. What a weird concept. Who would have thought? Treating someone decent. Interesting. Now, keep in mind, a hundred dollars. What is it? What did I say? Fifty dollars a show? Yeah. Fifty dollars yeah. a week. Uh, how much money do you think Buffalo Bill Cody was making just by putting sitting uh, on the board? <sighs> Plenty. Hundreds. Making yeah. a yeah. lot of money. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking that, too. He's probably richer than I mean, if he's paying that, if that's what he's paying, plus a sign on bonus and like travel expenses, dude's making bang real good money and this is before sitting bull he's making a lot of money uh also keep in mind so just another kind of a feather for for buffalo bill here uh he does this with other lakota too and he does pay them well and he pays them full wages and he like he actually it's refreshing it's so nice in the cesspool of what has been uh the lead up to little bighorn uh someone treating them like human beings it's great in one of the most heartwarming stories I could think of, Sitting Bull befriends Annie Oakley while they're on tour together. Annie Oakley is a female shootist who is just really starting to take off. She's a she's a trick shot artist. Um, Sitting Bull had watched most of the show completely unimpressed by Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. That was until Annie came up. He then watches Annie shoot a card uh, at 30 paces with a gun. She then shoots a lit cigarette out of her husband's mouth. Dang. She's he is a freaking. Well, and he's ballsy. Yeah, the husband has trust. <laughs> you would better not make. Uh, Do not get into a fight before you go on. Nope. Uh, Annie. And he's interesting. She will be getting an episode. Maybe it's the next episode. Ooh. So Sitting Bull, watching all this, jumps up and waves his arms in exciting, excited, shouting, basically, Wicanta Cecilia. And I know I butchered that, and I'm sorry. What it translates to is Little Sure Shot. Hmm. When a cute he- little nickname. Which I think is a cool little, it's not like the most badass nickname we've ever had, but Little Sure Shot, that's pretty cool. I do like that one. 
He then heads back to his room after the show and tells his warriors that anyone that can shoot like that should be a Sioux. He then sends Annie a picture of him and money for a picture of her. He then sends her a message that he wanted her to become his adopted, his ceremonial adopted daughter. Oh man, he liked her that much, huh? Annie sent back a message eventually saying yes, and a short ceremony was held, including a dance. And she ceremoniously becomes part of Sitting Bull's, uh, she ceremoniously becomes Sitting Bull's daughter. Oh, that's, that's a good story. And it's heartwarming. And you know what? I needed it because this episode is really going to take a turn in a couple minutes. And I oh, needed no. this moment. <laughs> take it in, everyone. Take it in. Yes, everyone, Breathe it in. Breathe remember it in. this feeling, this, this wonderfully pure story. Okay, we have a little bit to go with Buffalo Bill, though, before we get into the cesspool. So Sitting Bull would obviously be given top billing for for Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. But Cody was smart enough to realize that any reenactments he had of the Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull was going to do be nowhere near it. Because Sitting Bull isn't, yes, he's a curiosity. It does seem like he's a big celebrity. He is getting booed pretty significantly at a lot of these shows. If he would put him in the Little Bighorn reenactments, it might very well cause a riot. In fact, so he's getting top billing, but he's being booed all the time. Yes, but that's going to happen because, you know, racism. Right. So that that wasn't going to step away just because he can sign an autograph and Annie Oakley is his adopted daughter. When one man accused Sitting Bull of personally murdering Custer, Sitting Bull shoved his fingers in his face and said, quote, tell this fool I did not murder Custer. It was a fight in open day. He would have killed me if he could. I have answered for the people of my for the dead on my side. Let Custer's friends answer for the dead on his. He was not having any of it. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. And also, they never met. So, like, I'm only going to assume he had heard that dozens of times on this tour. Oh, yeah. But it's, you would, it would drive you nuts. So, back in eight, in 1885, uh, Sitting Bull returns to the reservation. And this is where McLaughlin realizes his plan of trying to assimilate sitting bull and making him a not prominent member of the tribe may have backfired when he sent him on a nationwide tour. <laughs> right. Maybe it wasn't going to come back more popular. Right. <laughs> you know, it was a strategy. I mean, it's not like he left and didn't say anything too. he was sending money back and he allowed McLaughlin signed off and let him to do it. He couldn't leave the agency without his permission. McLaughlin thought it would legitimately like somehow humble sitting ball. <laughs> and guess what? It absolutely didn't. <laughs> if anything, that popularity is way up, way up. So, uh, McLaughlin and sitting bull are going to continue to harass each other for the next couple of years. And now we have to talk about two really boring laws. One is the Dawes Act of 1870 of 1877 and then the Sioux Act of 1889. In summary, the Dawes Act would divide up the large reservation into smaller plots of land 
making it individual right or individual land rights for the natives. Do you remember way back in the Fort Laramie Treaty when they wanted them to be farmers and like eventually to bring them down to um, section sellable land? Yep. That's what they're doing now. This is now basically the culmination of this plan. Each head of the family of the Sioux would receive 160 acres uh, for everyone over 18 years of age or the head of households. Eligible Native Americans had four years to select their land. And afterward, if you didn't select the land, it would be assigned to you by the Secretary of the Interior. Literally looking at a map and saying, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. So it's like pick or we'll pick for you? Yes. But also keep in mind, if you didn't pick, uh, how great was your land going to be? Terrible. Absolutely. Now, also, um, every land that wasn't claimed mm, might be sold to someone else. Maybe someone a little little paler in the skin just you know just because they don't need all that don't tell me don't tell me they offered it to them before they even chose well you also gotta think the sioux also don't believe in individual land rights the ones on the reservations are getting there but um not a lot of them were going to be selecting this land who's to say that they didn't already know that i'll take this nope i'll take that nope nope Okay, well, in four nope. in four yeah. years, you uh, we'll assign this to you, and we'll probably just take the best land for us, please. Thank you. Now, the Sioux Act, the Sioux Act would set up the price for that sale. This would be, and obviously, those prices would be vastly under market value, saying that the natives that had not claimed their land had no use for the land that they were living on. Why do you need all of that land while ironically saying we want the rest of that land? The irony just wouldn't dawn on them. Sitting Bull and others would lead to would go to Washington to negotiate a higher price as they correctly assumed that there was no way Congress would stop the act from passing. Their offer was to raise from the proposed 50 cents an acre to a dollar an acre. But what they end up settling on is that any land not sold after three years would be sold for 75 cents. Now, eventually the Sioux Act would pass in 1889, but wouldn't take effect for a couple years after. And even in that, all of the unclaimed land was set up in a large sum payment in which the natives refuse. And to this day, that's another big claim of money that hasn't been claimed by the Native Americans. This is the second... I believe this is a second. So, yes, there's now two very big plots of money that the sewer refused to take. Meanwhile, back on the plains, the government started cutting rations as a way to, quote, encourage the natives to farm. Now, the nomadic people turn out to be terrible farmers because they're also not only terrible farmers, but they're also on land that isn't necessarily intended to farm. During the winter of 1889-90, a flu epidemic attacks most of the native tribes. Hope is low, and when hope is low, they will look anywhere for hope. And often, it's in the form of religion. 
in Nevada, a tribe starts a new religion, one that would claim that they would remove the Americans from the land and that the buffalo will return. Dead relatives would once again rise from the grave. They would end up calling this in this big ceremony called the ghost dance. The ghost dance is a pretty familiar story. We just need to go back to Tenskwatawa's episode to see just how important religion can a new religion can be to giving hope. But what the new religion does, it comes with a dance that freaks the Americans out. As new religions tend to, extremists think that they can actually remove the Americans and bring back their dead relatives, as we stated before. And just like in Tenskwatawa's episode, the ghost dance would keep them safe from bullets. A weary sitting bull did not stop anyone from practicing the ghost dance, but he didn't follow it either. In fact, he thinks it's kind of BS. He doesn't really believe that anything is happening from it. He didn't stop him from doing it, but he's like, nah, this ain't, this is, this isn't it. This isn't it. The ghost dance does divide the Lakota as well. It's not just sitting bull. The Americans start to send troops out just to keep an eye on this new religion, just in case. It is mainly nonviolent. And honestly, if it would have been just left alone, it probably would have just died out. It would have just faded away. But as word of the ghost dance starts getting to the Secretary of War's desk, they really start taking it seriously. Like there might be another ambush or another revolt from the Native Americans on the agencies. James McLaughlin, Sitting Bull's best friend. <laughs> like brothers at this point. They see He sees an opportunity as a way to deal with Sitting Bull while using the ghost dance. In a letter, he calls Sitting Bull the main force behind the new religion, and he pushes for Sitting Bull to be arrested. And he gets permission to be able to hand uh, Sitting Bull as he saw fit. How great. And he hates him. He sure does. Sure does. McLaughlin was able to use Lakota factionalism to grow his own police force. Now, this didn't just happen, but this does happen over time. But just know, even in the agency that Lakota's sitting on, there's division in that because people are obviously complex and people. So he sends out his native troops to go basically arrest Sitting Bull, or he gives out that order. When McLaughlin would actually take the time to sit with Sitting Bull, Whitehair, Whitehair was McLaughlin's name. Quote, Whitehair, do not think of me personally. You do not like me personally. You do not understand this dance. I am willing to be convinced. And you and I will go together to the tribes in which this dance came from, in which we reached the last one where it started. If they cannot produce the Messiah, and if we do not know, and we do not find the nations of the dead coming away, then I will return and let the Sioux know that it is a lie, and it will end this dance forever. If we find the Messiah, then you are to let me and then you are to let the dance go on. How reasonable. <laughs> Sitting Bull literally tells McLaughlin, let's go to the originator and watch. And if they can't produce anything, I will call everything a lie. McLaughlin hears all this and declines saying that there wasn't enough budget to travel off the reservation. 
Oh, okay. Sending Bill offer may well have ended the ghost dance, but that would have kind of caught McLaughlin off in his lie, as McLaughlin really doesn't want to deal with Sitting Bull anymore. In fact, he would really like to humble him. Nelson A. Miles was actually one of the men that came out to help suppress the ghost dance. The letter that McLaughlin said that Sitting Bull was the main force behind it, Miles still believes that letter, and that's what he's going for, and that the natives were about to rise up because of Sitting Bull. Uh. Miles, however, knows that Sitting Bull has a close relationship or had a close relationship with Buffalo Bill Cody. And Miles actually is going to allow Buffalo Bill to go talk to Sitting Bull. When Bill arrives, however, McLaughlin doesn't allow a meeting to happen between the two men. <laughs> Saying that it was simply too dangerous, but in reality... Sitting Bull would have told Buffalo Bill that McLaughlin was full of it and that he actually didn't like the ghost dance. It would have completely He'd been like, no, I didn't do it. Yes. Would have completely exposed McLaughlin's lie. During this time, a metal lark would speak to Sitting Bull, warning that his own people would hold him down and kill him. <gasps> no. McLaughlin orders his native police force to go arrest Sitting Bull in December 1890. The orders have been sped up and is now needed to be taken by force. So the orders have been there to arrest Sitting Bull, but now he needs to be arrested right now. That same night that Sitting Bull is going to be arrested, a ghost ta- a ghost dance takes place on his property. Again, he doesn't go with it. He's just allowing them to dance outside of his, his cabin. The next morning, around 6 a.m., it's December 15, 1890, and Sitting Bull's front door is bashed open with a rifle butt, and men burst into the room. Sitting Bull is forced to his feet by two of McLaughlin's native police force. Sitting Bull is told that if he tried to fight, that he would be killed. And with his arms held by two men less than half of his age, he really isn't in a position to defend himself, even though he is starting to dist- is starting to struggle. He then demands, he as in Sitting Bull, demands that his horse be brought up and that Sitting Bull be taken to the agency. By now, people are starting to gather outside Sitting Bull's house, and a small army is there to arrest him. When the horse is gathered, Sitting Bull is pulled out to the front door. He holds both his arms onto the door frame, unwilling to move or go forward. He literally has to be overpowered and taken outside of his cabin. The native police kicked and jostled Sitting Bull, just trying to push him through the crowd. But now he's refusing to walk. They're literally dragging him through this crowd. And the entire crowd is there to help arrest him? No, half of the men are the police force. The other half are just... <laughs> They're just onlookers or... Onlookers who probably went on the ghost dance the night before. Oh, okay. Sitting Bull shouted, No, I'm not going. Get away. Then his wife returns with the horse that he's supposed to ride on. When the police were growing increasingly nervous that the crowd is now starting to turn on them. 
And that if they're just pleading with the crowd, that if they just let Sitting Bull go, he would be treated safe. He wouldn't be hurt. That was when one of Sitting Bull's allies, just around the corner with a rifle, fires a shot. Uh... That shot doesn't cause more gunfire, but what it does is that there is another horse that is in the eyesight of everyone. It is actually a gift. It's literally a show pony from Buffalo Bill Cody. It is a white horse. The horse hears a gunshot. Here's the gunshot and starts performing as if it's in the show. Oh, right. Now, what it does is that those who were at the ghost dance the night before believe the horse is performing the ghost dance. Gotcha. So when it's so they're like, it's true. Yes. So then the crowd starts rushing in at the native police with sitting bull in it. And that was when another shot went in another shot happened and it shot sitting bull in the back. <gasps> no, he then stumbles a couple of feet and then is almost instantly shot in the back of the head. What? And that is how Sitting Bull died. (laughs) One of his last images was seeing that horse dance. It is that sudden. Now, what is really tempting, it is so hard to stop the story here because the Wounded Knee Massacre happens about two weeks from this, and it would be really easy to add, not easy, It's really tempting to add Wounded Knee onto this episode, but I think we need to give it its own episode at a later time and not just add it onto Sitting Bull's episode. But just know this is really the start of the Wounded Knee Massacre that's going to happen in a couple weeks. Um, If that's enough of a cliffhanger for you, I have in the show notes, I do this for every episode, but there is a... It's a pretty common book, but it's called uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. It's by D. Brown. It was written in 1970 or so. And he does go into um, a lot of good detail into that if you wanted to go into the Wounded Knee Massacre. There's also a, if you're looking for something really short, HBO did do a uh, a movie adaptation of the same book. Um, It's not, it's fine. It's a good movie, but um, just keep in mind it is still a movie. It does make it look like uh sitting bull is shot. And then almost immediately wounded knee happens. But if you're looking for the tone of all of this, they go into the Dawes act, they go into uh Charles Eastman. It is a very good movie, but um, I would, I would recommend the book before you watch the movie, but, but both are, but the movie is very good as well. But yeah. What a way to go out. Yeah. Held by your own men. Just. I mean, it's weird that he had a vision, right? That right. literally said that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to rank him. Rank, 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 rank. First round. Are you satisfied? This is our biography round where we'll be handing out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how well we liked his story. Matt? I liked it. I thought that it was i mean he's an entertaining fella you know i mean he climbed the ranks 
he did a lot of uh coups right yeah 60 over 60 of them yes um i liked how he was he wanted to take care of his people too you could tell and unfortunately i i I don't know i we just got literally just got done with his death but that's not sitting well with me but anyway like uh i thought the whole part was it's it's interesting that he went to go like try and assimilate like that was uh, mclaughlin's plan but it like totally backfired and it was also interesting that mclaughlin like did everything in his power to like blame him for like the ghost dancing stuff and i just wonder how different it would have been if you would have let uh bill in and even like it's not even if they would have just let it die out all it was was dancing because honestly it would've been a hard winter it's not like life on the reservation was going well like rations were late like everything we've talked about in reservation life that didn't go away if they would have just let this pass and I guess who happened. really was it affecting? Exactly. No one. <laughs> it was affecting no one other than their dance moves scare me a little bit. And I guess the, the frustrating thing to me is if you're so freaked out about dancing, this really isn't about a dance, is it? If they're willing to revolt, there's probably a reason why they're willing to revolt. Why not address that rather than worry about the dance moves they're worried that they're going on? Like, you know, something's clearly wrong. Do you think it was just because they refused to like admit that they were in the wrong? Correct. I like, don't, it's not whether... us. It's you. And it's you doing this and it creeps me out. I'm scared. It is a combination of that. And it's a combination of those who probably had really good intentions, but were taking the words of those who were like McLaughlin, who clearly had another reason to see Sitting Bull go away because Sitting Bull was making him look like a joke. He was. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but do you know whatever happened to McLaughlin? Did he stay or? Yeah, because he was in good standing. There was no reason. Like, why would they remove him? He had kept this big, this big personality, this sitting bull, and he brought him to justice eventually. Like he's not McLaughlin wasn't a villain by any means. Well, I mean, yeah, but he's and also keep in mind the the agency leaders uh, have the power of the pen. They can tell you they're going to tell the men like they're the ones that are sending in reports on how well everything is going. Right. Right. It's just the bad, the bad eggs, the bad sitting bowls that are making my life terrible. And that's all that's right. going to get reported. Yeah. And even if you're looking at like Buffalo Bill, who came, who legitimately could have actually like, I don't know, saved sitting bowls life. McLaughlin said no, because that didn't fit in his lie. Do you think he, right. But, and do you think he kind of wanted, yeah, I bet he wanted sitting bowl dead. Yeah. He, I think plan a, was he become assimilated and that he'd be humbled a little bit. Yeah. And it's funny that, yeah, it's just funny that it was the complete opposite. I just, (laughs) he came back probably so like, yo, what's up? Oh my God. Which 
I don't even think you need the benefit of hindsight to show how stupid that plan is to send Sitting Bull off on a tour to make to him go more get popular. like praised. Yeah, right. to go get praised. You're not a prominent member of this tribe. Go on tour. That will show you. Well, even even when he was getting booed, it was just funny because I mean he was still the like top billing. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Overall, um, I think I, I think I'm going to go with a six point five. Why six point five? I just think that um, I, I mean I liked it, and I think that's oh generally a good good score, but it wasn't like. For context, you gave Crazy Horse a seven. Right. But there was more. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I, I think like there was more like uh, uh, juice to Crazy Horse. I mean, what? How many? Like we skipped what? 12 years? Yeah. We well, we did 12 this... years. His life. Right. Crazy Horse, if you remember right, it was a lot of the same early issues that we had. There wasn't a lot of sourcing, but he also died at 37, 38. Right. And he almost immediately went from like little big horn to his death was like 18 months apart. Like it was, it was real quick. And, but I also think that like with sitting bull after the battle, it was more like, a. let's, I mean, he fled shortly after right to Canada. Yes. Around the same time, around the time crazy horse was murdered. Um, he was fleeing to Canada. And then how long was he in Canada again? Two years, two, right? Two, three years. Two, three yeah. years. So, I mean, that was like hiding out. So it's like nothing really. And then he like, I, I don't want to say gave up, but I mean, he had no other choice, but. Right. And then it was more just. A, I don't want to say normal life, but it was more of a, like a, a less. Right exciting like there is a big gap between like there's some buffalo bill like there's some more political stuff because sitting bull and mclaughlin just kind of exchange little barbs towards each other and like mclaughlin then says that he can't go tour with buffalo bill anymore so i mean that's that's kind of why i I, like took some points off but sure i'm a little more impressed with him uh i gave crazy horse a five you gave him a seven i think there's just there's a little bit more on sitting bull. I like the sitting on a in the battlefield with his pipe. Um, so obviously, Crazy Horse had the same story, similar story with including the hooves over the Fetterman fight. <laughs> um, I couldn't really go. I do like the attacking a war chief, uh, killing a war chief. Yeah, that um, was really that was actually had to have been his like. That's pretty shining. cool. That's like it was his shining moment with the tribe, right? I mean, Little Bighorn was will be a shining moment with the tribe. Right, but I mean, up until that point, that was kind of yeah, where it was like, was okay, moment. this guy's the real deal. Right. Yeah. Um. I just wish, again, it, where it hurts him. Now, I say that there's lack of sourcing, and we've been, this is going to be well over a two-hour episode, but um, I just wish there was a little bit more there. I am a little more impressed with him. I think... I was originally going in with an eight, but I think I'm going to go down to a 7.5. You convinced me a little bit, but I think I'm a little bit. It's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, I I guess you can tell, like, I I definitely like Crazy Horse a little bit more, and you definitely like (laughs) our scores kind of flip flop. Not by much. I mean, a little bit uh, less on this one, but. Yeah, and I. 
I mean, I've, I've even said it multiple times on here when we're ranking, like I'll say something different just to have a different score than you. So I like that we, we differ now, not your Billy, the kid seven, five, all of those. That was your monster, but you fixed it. It's fine. I still haven't forgiven you, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. That gives him a total score of 14 for his biography round. Next round, be sure you are right, then go ahead. This is our morality round. This is where we're going to hand out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how good or bad he was. I'm going to say, uh, you know, I'm going to say an eight, and here's why. Whew. Okay, go ahead. You don't think so? We'll find out. <laughs> Convince me. All right. Okay, so I think he was a warrior through and through, right? I mean, even when, you know, he was telling his men, you know, after the battle and everything's over, do not mutilate the bodies. Go ahead and, you know, they're warriors. We need to treat them as such. Like, I like what he said about when, like, that person was like, oh, you killed Custer. Well, no. Okay. Like, I took the dead of uh, the dead and I own it. Custer's people need to own it. Like, no, like, that's just what it is. Like, it's a war. Like, I didn't kill him. Like, it was in the battle. Like, I mean, I didn't murder him, I think it was actually, but like, no, like, it was broad daylight. Like, we fought. Like, that's just what it is. And so I think he was very, like, cool, calm, collected. I mean, I don't remember. I mean, remind me, remind me if I'm missing anything of where he had, like, a bad character flaw. It really doesn't. Um, I mean, I guess I will say think of is his. No, that was more of a that was more of her fault. Never mind. Like with the wife. Yeah, which is more more entertaining than it is anything. But um, yeah, where he had both wives and they wouldn't let him turn to the other other wife. Um, I don't. For whatever reason, and I maybe I'm a hypocrite on this, but like there's that's an incredible like his literal counting coup score is in the 60s. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's battle. That it is, is, battle. It is battle. You're right. You are right. I don't think I have too much of a leg to stand on here. Um, and I don't think I'm going to go significantly lower than you because um, he does. He does. He is more. Like he does keep his. So I always go back to, does he keep his people in mind? And moving to Canada does seem like a self-preservation move, but that's not just for him. That's for his, his people. And he does ultimately sacrifice his freedom, which that's a big move. He sends money back to his people on the reservations. Boy, that is true. He did keep so, so he like gives that, him to uh, the, he gives it you even said he gives some to the homeless too. He did. I you know, I think I think I'm losing my case. I think you might have a stronger point than I originally thought. I don't know. I just I'm just picturing him right now as like a solid like leader, a solid yep. a solid like war chief. Like he did what he needed mm-hmm. to do for his people. And that was him. Well, I was originally thinking a five, but I think you've talked me up a few points because also I do like the the little sure shot with Andy Oakley. Like, I mean, come on. He's a sweetheart. It just that that warmed my heart. That, because, that to me proves that like he was he didn't like despise every single sure like American, you know, 
I mean, and even giving even giving money to the homeless, it wasn't like it, they were like, uh, like native Native Americans or anything like that. They were probably right. like Americans that were all hard up, and he was like, "Here, my whatever," yep. you know. He was like during that too. I think he he has a famous quote that I can only really paraphrase, but it's like, "How does how does a a nation this mighty have?" poor people like he couldn't fathom how he would have how people could be starving like in the streets like he he couldn't he couldn't comprehend why that was selfish so okay you've convinced me two points worth i'm gonna bring him up to a seven because i don't have too much of a leg to stand on so you win fine that brings his score be sure you are right to a total of 15 Next round to hell with the consequences. This is our crazy or clever round. We're going to hand out negative 10 points to positive 10 points, depending on if we think he was crazy or if he was clever. Now this one, I'm going to go a little lower. I think I'm going to do like a, a, a four. Probably. I don't think he did anything. That's like. Yeah. Clever. I mean, come on. He was running around bonking people. Boop. Which is, I mean, come on. I mean, I think some of his visions and dreams and stuff that he had that ended up being true are pretty awesome, but like that doesn't make him like super clever or anything like that. I think we talked about this in Crazy Horses episode two, but this is where the sources really hurt him because he probably was very smart on a battlefield. It's just that detail doesn't really exist. So. They, we can only go off what like p- other people saw. Right. I guess. So you're just really going off of like American sources and like there's some Native American oral histories on him as well, but they're just there's just not nearly as detailed. So I don't think and you gave Crazy Horse a five. Uh, okay. So you're really like you're really close there. I don't see. I don't see why I would disagree with your four. So I might just match you because I really don't have anything else to add to it. So I might just match your four to give him a total of eight. Next round. Uh, Actually, before we get to the next round, he is in positive right now. So he has a positive score of 37. So we're going to continue to add to his points after this last round. If you would have had negative 37, we would continue to subtract from his points. But uh, to our next round. We're going to go to draw. This is if we were happened to be in a duel with Sitting Bull, how screwed are Matt and I in facing them off? Didn't we? I feel like this. We said something about Crazy Horse, didn't we? Like we. We did. I think we needed to take the attitude of. I think our original thought was, well, we're not going to get in a fight with him because we're not going to take his land. But I think then we realized then we, we switched it to. If we were, let's say, one of the crows and he was raiding us, how screwed are we? And then we realized this is a big deal. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I think we're screwed with Sitting Bull. Um, He will coo the death out of us. (laughs) What What are you saying? We gave Crazy Horse seven apiece. Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the seven. I think we're. I mean, he's gonna bonk the crap out of us. Uh, yeah, like you said, he is gonna <laughs> coo, he is gonna coo the crap. I mean, he got shot in the foot and took down a war chief. So this is true. He did get shot. Yeah, that's right. He does have that determination. Oh goodness. 
So I'm going to stick with seven as well. Also, I want to figure out how I can use the phrase, I'm going to coo on you and like not sound <laughs> like a complete perv in normal life. Because I feel like that could be cool, but probably not. Then I don't know. Like, Excuse me? You're going to what? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> uh, I am. So I'm going this purely off of Crazy Horse's number. I feel like I would be more intimidated of Crazy Horse than I would be of Sitting Bull, but not by much. So I'm going to go 6.5. And I gave Crazy Horse a 7. So there's just a little, little difference. Yeah. That gives him a total score of 13.5. Next round, Legacy. How well known is Sitting Bull? We're going to be handing out points from 0 to 10. Pretty well known, isn't he? Yeah. Is there a more famous native leader we're going to talk about? Uh, You know, I can't even think of one, though. The only one I think comes close is Geronimo. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. But even then, I'm thinking, and I, I mean, when you say Geronimo, like, yep, I know the name. I know he did some stuff. Couldn't tell you what, though. Yep. We'll get there. I'm going to say eight and a half. Oh, okay. You were, okay. Do you remember your crazy horse score? Was it eight? Eight, yeah. Yeah. 8.5. I think those two are, I mean, come on. They're synonymous. Yeah, like they're. There is a reason they're part of this trilogy that we went into, Custer, Crazy Horse, and Sitting Bull. Like they're all kind kind of grouped together. There's really not much to debate here on it. I think I'm going to go nine because I guess I think he's the most famous native leader we're going to have. And I also am trying to think like if if you go up and talk to someone in England and you say, do you know uh, Billy the Kid? They're going to say yes, Madeline, nine times out of ten, or like eight times out of ten. I think if you say, do you know Sitting Bull? I think his name translates more because he is more consequential in America, in like American history. So do you think he's more well known than like someone say like Billy the Kid? Yes, because you actually like I like Billy's story, but like you can pluck Billy the Kid out of American history and it doesn't. It it, it doesn't like nothing changed. Right. But if you take Sitting Bull out, that changes quite a bit. So I think... I get what you're saying with that. I get what you're saying with that. So I think I'm going to go nine. I'm going to keep my nine there. Um, He's not Custer. And Custer, I mean, this was his round. I gave Custer a nine and a half. I think Custer is the well-known name, even though it probably should be Sitting Bull because um, a lot of the, the... the books that I've read, they all, they all kind of have the same tone of like, every time we talk about it being Custer's last stand, we're taking away from what the tribes did. Like we're almost looking at like, look how stupid Custer was that the natives were just able to kill him rather than look at this awesome thing. The natives did. They just killed a war hero. Like, you know, it's, Oh yeah. It's a give and take. So, 
I'm I uh I'm gonna stick with my name. You did eight point five. That is a total score of seventeen point five. Next round is a death bonus. Uh, we're gonna be giving out zero to two points as bonus points if we think you had a cool death story. And cool isn't the word. I didn't like it. I'm gonna say zero. It's memorable. It does lead up to the wounded knee massacre. Fine, half. Okay, half a point. Only because you reminded me that it was pretty consequential. Which, when you think of it, he had two of the more symbolic closings of the West. Because after Little Bighorn, like that's when the Uni- that's when the United States was like, nope, no more playing around. Everyone's going on a reservation now. It's our way or the highway. And then after Wounded Knee, that really is like, I don't want to say like the native's way of life is now just done, but that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Um, So he does kind of bookmark that. I'm going to go 0.5. I'll match you with that. So we'll give him an extra bonus point. Total of one. Pretty sure you already spoiled the next round, but here we go. Yeah, uh, well, again, he's not trying to kill them. Anyway, next round, counting coup. This is our confirmed-ish kills, and we're going to divide that number by 10. I know I said... round. Oh, I know I said 63, but that's not confirmed kills. Like, he's not trying to kill them. He's trying to basically humiliate them in battle. Now, he killed... All right. He did kill a lot of men, but there's no number you can put on it. So I think like my other thought is we made a precedent of giving Custer all of the death for the battle of the wash or the massacre battle of the Washita. But to me, that's, that's different here because Custer literally attacked them. It wasn't Custer. It wasn't like they saw him out. Right. So I don't, I don't feel like we need to give him all 210 death no. of Custer's men, but also I don't think, giving him 63 is either. So I, I for arbitrary number on a number that there's no way we can track 20. Give him yeah, I was thinking that was going to say that too. 20. So don't know how else we can track it. So I sticking with that. All right. That brings him two points. That brings his total score to 71 points. Not bad. He bring, he beat crazy horse by four, three and a half. And I knew it was coming, but Tecumseh had 70. (laughs) Has 71. He deserves it. Fine. <laughs> I do like sitting bowl. I just, again, I got to get over my crush. Okay. 71 points. He is now, uh, as far as native leaders go, he is uh, number one. Awesome. And actually, as he I should think, be. I actually think let's, I got to go. Let me, let me go. Let me look up the spreadsheet. He might be the most positive score we have. Billy the Kid had 70.1 after we adjusted his score. We just said Tecumseh's at 70. And he had done it. 
he is now the top like positive scorer in our round. Good job, Sitting Bull. I'm sure it was all worth it, buddy. <laughs> Sorry about the way you died. Uh, but you have a high score on an arbitrary number system. So, yay. yay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry it's about like the all that. It anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about all the terrible racism that our country let left on you but anyway and basically uh, killed you all right here we go yeah here we go so, let's uh but you can be on our team don't you want to be on our team no <laughs> what do you mean no so as you know we are eric and i are both drafting a team he's gonna flip a coin i'm gonna call it winner gets to choose whose team they're on i believe i am currently up uh a figure right now from eric yep um we can draft, so we can draft them. We can put them in the uh, free agent pool. Um, both of our teams max out at twenty, and after that, we will be adding and dropping on our team and picking up from that um, free agent pool. So, before I flip this coin, is there I mean, any trade that I can I can get the drafting rights? Is there is there anyone that you're interested? I just in? basically told you I love sitting balls, so I mean. But is there a trade like Crazy Horse? You liked Crazy Horse. <laughs> no. We'll see. Let let that let the coin decide, Eric. If the coin is in your favor, you wanted them. This is where you find out it's a two one-sided coin. <laughs> All it is, it's a picture of me on the front and a middle finger to you on the back. <laughs> Both say Eric wins. Tails. Oh, I you moved it. Oh, would you look? Gosh, dang. If that's not Tails, I don't know what is. <laughs> I'm drafting them. Hey, I mean, if you can think of a good trade, a two or three person trade, come at me. Crazy Horse and <laughs> William B. Travis. <laughs> who's, the, who's the most evil person on your team right now? The most evil John Wesley Harden. Okay. Okay. Who is, if we're just doing like highest or slash lowest score, so the most extreme on the edge, uh, John Wesley Harden is like at negative 89, which is the, the, <laughs> oh, the our biggest really bad. Yeah, we really hated him. He did it himself. Whether we did hate him, but he did a plenty to deserve that. Score. Oh, heck yeah. So. Sitting Bull on my team. Woo! And now, next round, it might just be no no, no coin flip. Yeah. I did already kind of spoil who we're going to cover next. I did kind of, I do most, for the most part, have these planned out. But there's really no anniversary that we're coming up on the next couple months. So I just kind of flipped around a couple of people. Because let me tell you. These last three episodes, boy, howdy, did they take some research time. <laughs> <laughs> I need a change of pace. So I think we're we're just going to flip and we're just going to do Annie Oakley because she has a really pleasant story. Not to give out too much. I do like Annie. Um, and it's kind of a nice transition from, I don't know, the last three, <laughs> the last three men we just covered. So. I think, yeah, let's spoil it now. Annie Oakley's coming up in two weeks. 
And with that, the Battle of Little Bighorn is complete. We hope you enjoyed the last few episodes. If you did, remember to go ahead and like and subscribe. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review. That helps us out a lot. Um, You can also check out our website. It's ranking76.wordpress.com. Um, Eric posts all the scores. He posts all the episodes. There's links to our Reddit, our Instagram, our Facebook pages. Um, go ahead and check those out. Leave us comments. We're always posting photos for you guys to enjoy. So go ahead and check that out. With that being said, I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And we will see you next time. <laughs>